Logan, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 77, and our guest is uh, Red Wing Assistant General Manager Ryan Martin, also the General Manager of uh, the Grand Rapids Griffins, consultant to the Toledo Walleye, and consultant with USA Hockey as well. So uh, a man who wears many hats, and it's always great to sit down and, and visit with Ryan, and uh, let's welcome him in, and uh, let's begin. Ryan, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, Art. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm going to try to limit this because I know that both of us like to talk a little bit. We, we were both passionate about what we, what we what we are into, but let's go with maybe the current news about Dylan Larkin being signed to a five-year deal. Uh, reports are it's $30.5 million, cap hit of $6.1 million a season. Uh, I talked to Dylan a couple of weeks ago out at his uh, hockey school with his uh, cousin and brother, and... You know, he just seemed it was a foregone conclusion it was going to get done. I mean, this was something that both parties wanted to get done. It seems like a fair deal for both sides. So I would assume that this was not a contentious negotiation and that both uh, parties are very happy. Yeah, I think you've summed it up very accurately. Um, you know, we, we started to speak with with Dylan's representatives uh, towards the end of last year. It's actually a, a person that I used to work with, Kurt Overhart, um, and Joe Oliver, uh, Dylan's Dylan's agent. So I mean, Ken and I have a really good relationship with him. And I think you know because of Dylan's standing as a, a local guy, what he means to this organization, you know, just his character. You know, I think both sides felt that um, you know it was going to be a process, and we were going to have to work through that process. But I think everybody was fairly confident that at the end of the day, we were gonna find a way to, to get a fair deal for Dylan and one that works for him and the team. And I think that's what we have. I think it's a great deal for him. I think it's a great deal for the team. Um, you know, we've, we've got one of our key, key players under contract for five years, uh, you know, many of his prime years. And, he, and he's a really important piece to this organization and, and the build going forward. You had let's say four building blocks to the organization, young players that all were up for contract or, or could have been uh, uh, restricted free agents without arbitration rights except for Athanasiu. You got a deal done with Athanasiu. Uh, Mantha wanted a bridge deal. He got a bridge deal. Tyler Bertuzzi signs a one-year deal. Uh, uh, two years. Uh, Bertuzzi's... Uh, yeah, two, yeah, two, uh, two years. A two-year yeah. deal. Two, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, but I don't know where the one year. But so they both got two-year bridge deals. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, do you like? I mean, Larkin might be a separate case because of just his background. We we understand that. But you know, when, when a player is done with a three-year uh, entry-level contract, uh, if you were advising him, or do, do, is a team, or does it just depend on where they're at? Do you think in their career that do do you? prefer a bridge deal or do you like to get guys signed up long time? You know everybody's different Art and I think this just happened to be one of those situations with all three of these players actually where the team and the player we were all on the same page you know with with Andreas obviously there was the arbitration process that we were going to have to go through um, and, and when the player elects the team can opt for one or two years but I think both parties felt that if it did go to arbitration we were comfortable with a two-year deal, and I think that was probably in the player's best interest as well. Uh, you brought up Anthony. Um, you know, I think Anthony feels that he's just now scratching the surface. He thinks there's more there, and he's he's looking forward to taking another step in his development. 
and we feel the same way. So, you know, a long-term deal with Anthony didn't make sense from our standpoint, and in, in his eyes, it didn't make sense for him either. So once again, both parties saw it the same way, and and then, uh, you know, a, a guy in like Tyler in a little bit different situation than all those other guys because he doesn't have the experience level. But mm -hmm. two years gives Tyler a, a little bit of security, um, more than a one-year look. You know, gives him another year to sort of get established. Now this will be his first, quote-unquote, full-time season in the NHL. Then he's got a whole other year after that before – um, you know, you know, and at that point he will have arbitration rights, but 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 he's got two years until we're back at the negotiating table again. So, um, you know, all three of those players, uh, you know, and they're all in a different standing than Dylan, uh, both from an experience standpoint as well as where they are in this organization and where they are in their careers. And I think you know, both the team and the players in each individual case saw things the same way, and I think those are all really good deals for. For both parties when when you look at the situation and during uh dylan larkin's uh, conference call when ken holland was addressing uh, the media he brought up henrik zetterberg and his back issue uh we've always known with backs it's always touch and go uh zetterberg uh yeah i feel i really feel bad for because he's only 40 points away from a thousand in his career uh yet is the organization taking a wait-and-see approach, or do you kind of in the back of your mind look at, you know, it might be life without Henrik Zetterberg. We might truly be facing that. Well, I think it's a wait-and-see approach. You know, certainly when he finished the year last year, you know, Ken and, and Jeff Blaschel had their exit meetings with him, and I think, uh, you know, as, as any player at that point in their career and their age, you know, they're going to take a little bit of time off, see how they feel, and then typically they would go back in the gym, and, you know, that's kind of been Henrik's offseason. And I think early on when he did not feel uh, as well as he has in years prior, uh, you know, the ability to go back into the gym and, and to train at a level that he needs to train at, um, you know, I'm not even talking about the, the ongoing maintenance throughout the year. I'm just talking about the offseason training. You know, he, he wasn't at a point where he had been typically. So they, you know, they gave us a bit of a heads up that, you know, his back is bothering him and it hasn't been like this in the past. You know, typically the timing of things are different. He's able to do more earlier. Um, but at the same time, he's had this issue now, I think, at least for the last five or six years, if, right. not, if not longer. I mean, I know the one year of the Olympics, he had to fly home from from Russia laying down on the plane, his back was so bad, and then he had surgery. So, um, you know, I think it has to be a wait-and-see approach. I mean, we'll, we'll see what he's like when he gets to camp. And, you know, last year, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, he, he didn't practice every day. You know, as players oftentimes do when they get to that point in their career, there's maintenance days, there's guys that don't practice all the time. You know, Pavel, at the end of his career here, wasn't practicing every day. And um, so I don't think that, that, that part of it's anything unusual. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, you know where he's at when he gets here. Right. I I I, I didn't realize it, but on the last game of the season uh, here uh, against uh, uh, of New Jersey, New Jersey, uh, I can remember uh, him saying, you know, asking what's your plans for the off season, and he said, my goal for next year is obviously to play, but you know, and he you know, and he kind of smirked at me. He said, you know, I didn't practice at all from January on, and I'm thinking, you know what? I don't remember seeing him at practice, right. and I don't remember seeing him at very many morning skates, if any. He might have came in, but he wasn't on the ice. So, uh, 
so I was under the impression that he was going to try it because he really wanted to practice throughout the season. Yet, you know, as you said, it just sounds like he's at a point right now where it's, uh, you know, he's really going to have to consider it. It's interesting the point you bring up, too, because when Nick retired, Nick Lidstrom, he said, listen, I know what it takes for me to play at my level. And he had just reached the end, you know. I mean, he could probably go in there and still do it. I think he could still play right now. But, you know, I, and that's what it is. I mean, you know, there, I think there, there are always hockey players. There, there's always a will. But you've got to get real serious about it, whether or not you, the mental capacity and that you're ready to do what it takes to, to get back on the ice and perform at, at the highest level. Right. And then, of course, when you compound that with, a back injury, right, you know, right. they they might know what they need to do to play it at the highest level, but their highest level might now be be lower because right. of the injury, and you know, his quality of life later on might be impacted. Uh, you know, I've had a back issue myself, and I know it's not fun to deal with. So, <laughs> and I'm not getting checked every time. So, right, right, yeah, you're not having people out there trying to take you out of a play or right, something, right, right. Uh, so at this point, just to just to clarify this, he will report to camp. Oh sure, and it'll be it'll be a determination yeah, what happens up in Traverse City. Yeah, I mean he'll go through his physical like all the other players do, and you know I'm sure, you know at that point you know Kenny and Blash will sit down with him and and we'll figure out where he's at. But but I have not heard an update within the last couple of weeks. So. Okay, when we. Look at it, the cap situation. I know you're, I guess you're still the capologist. I remember when you were first hired, you were the capologist for the Red Wings. You might have been one of the first in the league, I think. I mean, or the, I, if I remember correctly, or let's put it this way. When capologist, that term was invented, you were you were one of the first. Well, I, I, I think remember. Ken, was, uh, Ken was quick to steal that label as other sports had already had it. But, uh, you know, I think I was hired the... The first week that New York, uh, the NHL offices were were ushering in teams to um, give them a crash course on the CBA, and that was the week that I started back in July of uh, of '05. So I think Ken was quick to to latch onto that term. I think you know subsequently a bunch of teams went out and hired people similar to myself. But yeah, that he does like to claim he hired the first capologist. <laughs> so. Being the capologist, it looks like, and I know that you have until like four o'clock before the Red Wings play the first game, the the day before to you know finalize the roster and get all the. So whatever the salary cap says now, obviously it's not going to be there. But it looks like it's a real tight squeeze for the Red Wings right now. Are you concerned? Do you do you think that this organization may have to make moves, whether it's. Uh, uh, I don't think buying out anyone is a possibility, but you know, moving guys uh, through trade or uh, you know, hope, hopefully trying to get guys down the Grand Rapids and that they can clear waivers. It's been a tight squeeze every year, Art, with the exception of one. Um, so I'm I'm not worried. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of moving pieces. You know, there's a number of of um, waiver exempt players that we have projected for the opening night roster that that could go to Grand Rapids or at least we have them projected for competing for a spot for the opening night roster and um, they could go to Grand Rapids there's going to be injuries um, you know that we we can never account for those but certain some right. players are that'll factor into it um, you know certainly uh, a trade is a possibility and at the end of the day they're um, you know 
historically you can see the last few years we we have had players that uh have been on one-way contracts that maybe they had a spot on the team the prior year or prior years and and they lost their job to uh uh, to, to another player. And so we've had one-way contracts down in the minors because of that. So I think there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, you know, we're not, um, we're not over by a lot. I mean, it's certainly a very workable number is the way we see it. So certainly, so it, 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 it'll be a fun uh, preseason. And depending on how things shake out, and you're right, the, the, the big bugaboo is injuries because regardless someone always unfortunately seems to get hurt. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that happens. And there's different rules, you know, if you have a player that's that gets injured who's on a two-way contract, that the salary that he uh, hits your books at could be different than a guy on a one-way depending on where he was the prior season. So there's a bunch of different rules that will impact uh, the opening night roster as opposed to the regular cap throughout the year. So, um, but... We're, we're not over by very much, so it's a very workable number. Uh, I know we're going to be moving on a, a lot here, uh, but let's talk about the draft. Uh, you know, certainly being in Dallas, uh, I was uh, getting a little nervous. I thought Montreal would be the key. Uh, when they didn't take Phillips Zadina, I thought there might be a chance, yet there was no way I thought that Arizona would pass up uh, Zadina. Uh, especially after Brady Kachuk was taken by Ottawa. How surprised and stunned were you? Was the organization, they had a player of this quality. You know, it, every report I read, Ryan, and you know me, I, I looked at all this stuff, said that there were three players in this draft that were NHL ready. Shvechnikov, obviously Rasmus Dahlin, and Zadina. For him to fall to six... Uh, you know, was was that sometimes you need you need a little luck? Was that uh, maybe a break the Red Wings needed? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, you know certainly a little luck always helps. I don't I don't know about only three players being NHL ready. I've since you know seen a couple players out in the World Junior Festival that looked pretty good and looked like they might be able to step in. So you know organizational need always comes into I don't want to comment on what other organizations did or why they may or may not have taken a particular player but certainly there was a lot of good players available uh, we felt in the top six we felt we were going to get a really good player regardless of of who it was and what the position might be um, you know certainly we did not expect uh, you know in all the scenarios that that we went through uh, in the days and weeks prior to the draft we um, you know I'll be honest we did not envision one um, where it was likely that he would be falling to us but we certainly considered it because we felt that it was a possibility we didn't think it was highly likely but obviously we were really excited when when it worked out I think he's a um, an excellent offensive talent I think he's a really good fit for what we're trying to build here and we're really excited that he did fall to us. I know you always want to temper the fans' expectations, the media's expectations, but certainly there seems to be an air among the Red Wing fan base once he was drafted that the enthusiasm for the team and 
possibly him making the squad uh, next season is a distinct possibility. Do you want to temper those expectations, or are you glad that people feel that way? I'm glad they feel that way. I think uh, I think everybody here feels that way. But you you know you said two words at the end of that as a great qualifier, distinct possibility. So. Um, you know, I think a number of those players that are picked who, or who are those top players have that uh, distinct possibility to make their respective team. So uh, he looked really good in development camp. Now it is, I, I kind of joke with, uh, you know, with some of the scouts out at the World Junior Festival, you know, who doesn't look good in a development camp? I've never heard a team say someone looks poor in a development camp. So, um, But he looked very good in the development camp. Uh, you know, I think... Um, you know, I know Blashell's watched a bunch of film on him and, and you know, is um, has an idea of where he would like to use him. We're certainly going to give him every opportunity to make the team, but we think he's in a really good, really good situation here. Even if he's not on our opening night roster, we don't see that as a, as a setback by any means because we have the ability to send him to Grand Rapids. Um, you know, we feel his development is best served in North America. And if he's not ready on opening night, that doesn't mean he won't be ready two, three, four weeks later. Maybe he needs a half season like Pasternak did in Boston. You know, there's a lot of um, – we're excited just that we get the chance to, to have our hands on him and develop him here between Detroit and Grand Rapids, uh, you know, as opposed to the CHL or Europe. We think it's it's in our best interest to do that. When you look at the draft and get a quick overview of it, not only did you get Zadina, uh, Valeno falls, and may, many people thought he'd be in the middle of the first round, and then uh, Jonathan Berggren, uh, whom you know, T- Tyler Wright told me, look, we were going to take him at 30, but w- with Valeno there, we had to take him, and then we get the guy that we wanted at 30 at, what, 33 or whatever it was. So, I mean, it, it, and then the three defensemen, uh, with McIsaac, the local kid, Regula, and then uh, uh, is it, it, it Barton? I'm going off the top of my head. He uh, from the, the the Trail Smoke Eaters, who uh, seems to really kind of made himself a player, has come out of nowhere. But when you look at it top to bottom, and then the the, the, the little Finnish center, uh, everybody is thinks, wow, Detroit really walked away with. Uh, uh, had one of the best drafts in the league, and I'm just not saying that because I'm sitting, you know, I'm, I'm sitting uh, across a table from you. But uh, I would imagine that when you look at this draft, uh, you have to be pretty pleased with what the Red Wings were able to uh, acquire. Yeah, really pleased, Art. Um, you know, I, I I think it was projected as um, a, a decent draft. I don't think anybody was projecting it to be exceptional. I think everybody felt there was one, you know, front runner to go number one. There was a handful of guys that were top end players in the first round. I think everybody felt there was a decent number of first rounders, but I think the you know, the general consensus among the people that know was that, you know, the draft wasn't incredibly deep, but it was it was solid. And I and I think we uh, did a really good job of of making full use of our picks and getting players with different dimensions and we really are are high on a lot of these guys i mean you pointed out uh you know bergren um that you know we did have rated in the top 30 i just saw him play out in kamloops uh you know he's a, a skilled competitive winger and jared mckisaac was on the canadian team and uh you know we had him rated as a, a top 30 guy as well so whenever you can get four guys 
uh, in your top 30, you know, and not to even mention Joe Valeno, uh, who I, I agree with you. I do think many people had him uh, projected to go in the middle of the first round and, you know, a big centerman that can really skate and plays a 200-foot game. Uh, you know, the Regula kid, completely raw. You know, we, we interviewed him and he joked with us, you know, when you know, we ask a players a, a question about whether they envision themselves sitting at the combine a year ago. And, you know, he sort of laughed at me. And he's like, are you kidding me? I was playing at Cranbrook High School. He's like, I, I wasn't envisioning the NHL. I didn't, you know, I didn't right. really know what the next step was going to be for me. So, I mean, that guy's incredibly raw. Um, you know, he's a sponge. He's, he gets better week to week. He's a really intriguing pick with his size. You know, I, I have not personally seen Seth Barton play, but, um, you know, our scouts like him, and I know the coach very well where he's going to school. They're really high on him. Uh, you know, then we take a couple of European goalies in the mix, and, and you know, Otto Kevin Mackey, uh, the little Finnish guy, came to camp here, and, I mean, he's got a lot of skill for a little guy. I mean, right. he, he was one of the more dominant players in the development camp. And, you know, and then Ryan O'Reilly's a, a big, strong, sturdy winger that's going back to play another year in the USHL, and then he's going to be moving on to Denver, a really top-notch program. So between some skilled players, some size, some defense, some goaltending, um, you know, we feel we've added uh, a, a lot of different dimensions, and, and we're certainly uh, obviously ecstatic uh, with the top part of the draft with Zadina and Valeno in the first and, and Berggren and, and Jared McIsaac early in the second there. When let's go to development camp, it was pretty impressive. The the red and white game or Team Howe versus Team Lindsay. I was talking to Dan Watson about it, who was coaching team, team Lindsay. They went out to about a five to one lead, um, and I was telling everybody if I was in Vegas, I probably when I looked at the rosters, I probably would have put my money on Team Howe. Uh, and uh, yeah, they had the super line of Giovanni Smith and uh, uh, Zadina and Michael Rasmussen, whom we haven't even talked about yet. Uh, but Dan said he could feel when, when they went down, I believe it was 5-1, to one, that he could see that those guys started to take it personally and, and amped it up. But it was an entertaining hockey game, even on Team Lindsay. Uh, Jack Adams, again, scores a couple of goals. He had a couple of assists the year before. Here's a, a kid, it's a six-round pick for Union, you know, playing at Union College. It, it, it seems that the cupboard is being replenished here for this organization, which for so long, as we heard, you know, because they were so, uh, uh, you know, the premier organization in all the NHL, that, you know, draft picks just, you know, when you're drafted or trading first-round picks away to acquire assets to compete for the Cup, the mindset's differently, but it looks like that, that where the organization is right now, as far as young talent in specific areas, perhaps, looks pretty good. Yeah, and, and you know when when you get eleven draft picks in a year as opposed to maybe five in a particular year when you're trading away picks, obviously you're, you know, the you know need to be a genius to do the math. But when you get twice as many kicks at the can, you're bound to, you know, to end up with more prospects. But you know, once again, I think it's a it's a real testament to the the work that our scouting staff and Tyler Wright, the director of scouting, and Jeff Finley. 
his his head guy have, have done and they're getting players with different dimensions we do have some size we've got some scoring ability we've got some centers uh, you know we've got some wings we've got some defensemen that have got some range we've got smaller you know undersized defensemen that have got some skill that can run a power play we've got different types of goaltenders some European some North American so I, I do think you know there's a nice blend uh, of some different dimensions there I do think uh, you know the development with the Little Caesars Arena the development camp was um, you know, I think the best we've ever had in my 14 years here. I thought it was outstanding. Uh, Sean Horkoff and, and Dan Cleary and Ben Simon and his staff did a tremendous job running the camp. Uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, moving the camp from Traverse City back down to Detroit, you know, a, a number of the players commented that there's just more of a a business-like atmosphere because we're not in a resort town, and and I think that showed up in in every aspect of the camp, from you know the nutritionist presentations to having the meals served uh, in the locker room to the off-ice workouts to you know just the attention to detail that that Sean and Dan and, and, and the, the group of coaches brought to the mix. But I thought the development camp was outstanding. Will you? continue to be will it continue to be in Detroit or are is that still being explored because the reason we we believed that it was here was because Traverse City Center Ice Arena is going through renovations oh they have, that was just a coincidence actually the reason it was here was because of Little Caesars Arena um you know we will continue to hold the prospect tournament and the main camp up in Traverse City but um, you know when from here on out, development camp is here right. at, at the Bell Four. Right. Yeah. Because you know, when you've got access to the resources that we do, you know, when we used to have it down at, at the Joe, um, and you know, without the big gym and the off ice component, right. and you know, maybe the the opportunity in the city for the players to do stuff. You know, we didn't have a nutritionist on staff then. You know, the things were just different back then. Right. Um, but the chance to move it into a smaller venue. You know, bring the public in. You know, you're you're not talking about bringing, you know, two thousand fans into the Joe on a Wednesday afternoon to watch a skate. It would have been kind of dead in there. But to bring right. them in and pack them into, uh, you know, uh, into Little Caesars Arena and and do things during the day there, I I, I thought it was outstanding. So it, we have no plans to bring it back up to Traverse City. And certainly the Belfort Training Center, where where the practice ice is. Is it can't get any more red and white. The Stanley Cup banners are hanging there, big Red Wing logo. Uh, uh, it, it, it truly. Were you surprised at the reaction from these kids in development camp? I mean, I mean, it was the first time that it was actually here. Where was the organization taken back a little bit because they were they were really into it? I mean, I saw them every day. I mean, it was it was extraordinary. That's really. a yeah, that's a really interesting point, and and I would say I I think there's a number of factors at play. One, the quality of the players. Um, you know, I, like you pointed out correctly, I do think we've got some some really good prospects in the organization. Um, and, and many of them were at that camp. Uh, you know, two, Ben Simon and his staff, uh, and Sean Horkoff and Dan Cleary, I think, did an excellent job putting together um, a program that was really conducive to having a competitive environment. Um, they, were, they were busy. 
um, but it was an energetic environment, and, and I think that and then obviously you factor in the Belfour Arena, being in Little Caesars Arena, being in the Red Wings locker room. You know, they've got a chef preparing meals for them. They've mm-hmm. got the banners all around them, the cups. I mean, you can't, if you're one of those kids, you can't help but want to 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 strive to be successful and to work hard. And so, you know, it's part of the culture here. So, um, you know, I think it was a, a myriad of factors that went into it. But I think you're also correct to point out that, it, it did have a different feel, and it, it was taken to another level than we had seen in the past. You know, not to be, and this is probably a poor analogy, not to get corny here, but they kind of, they may not be there yet, but they sort of saw the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, what could be. Right. And, it you know, because obviously not only uh, the, the, the big arena itself is, you know, is, is impressive enough, but with all the retired numbers, I mean, Red Wing history is all over the place. I mean, they couldn't help, but they every time they turned around, they were running into something different. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's a small point, but the revitalization of downtown Detroit, you know, the players are coming from, you know, the hotel over to the arena back and forth, you know, five five times during the week, six times during the week, twice, three times a day. They can't help but notice, you know, all the construction that's going on around here, all the businesses that are open. This downtown looks completely different. There would be some players on that board that attended a development camp uh, down in Detroit. Probably David Pope was one of them because right. he was drafted six years ago. So, um, you know, they came to the old development camp when – you know, they would, I think, take a van from the Rensen over to the Joe just along the river. So for those, right. you know, and other than coming to a Tigers game, they wouldn't have get, gotten much of a, of a glimpse of the city. So for them to be in this city and, and to see how uh, things are growing, I think it's great. You know, I think that you look at some of our younger players that are moving downtown. I think that's great for the city. I think it's great for the young people. Um, I, I I do want to try to keep it short because I know that you and I can go on forever here. And, you know, you're just back from vacation, so I'm sure you're swamped uh, today. Uh, but the Summer Showcase, which was in Plymouth last year, was in Kamloops. You've referred to it a few times. I believe last year the Red Wings had eight prospects uh, at the USA Hockey Arena in Plymouth. This year I believe it was six Uh Anybody, anybody stand out for you? Uh, uh, did you, uh, uh, were, were the Red Wing prospects, uh, were you happy with that? Or is the summer showcase, because it's a lot of games in a short period of time, and Team USA and Team Canada are, are two teams until the final three games, I guess, they play. So right. your impression's walking away from that. It is a lot of hockey in a short amount of time. I think, you know, people, because uh, I'm with the U.S. staff as a volunteer evaluator, and I think the, the players had uh, basically what amounted to one day off. Uh, we traveled, you know, so starting Saturday to Saturday, you get one day off. You're playing five games in that time period plus practices. It's it's a lot. Um, so, and it is, there is a little bit of the, element of it is summer hockey so it's 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 difficult to to uh to make um you know concrete evaluations maybe for some of these players but the one guy that I thought um stood out was Michael Rasmus and I thought he was one of Canada's best players um you know he played both uh games against us uh I thought he was one of their if not the best player, the final game when, you know, we had beaten Canada pretty well the two games before in the split squads. And so the, the game when we played uh, um, as the, the 
one squad versus one squad. You know, he was one of their best players. They managed to squeak out a one-goal victory. But I, I thought he looked like a guy that, you know, had taken another step, and he's certainly going to be in a position to challenge for, for a spot in Detroit this year. Um, you know, Jared McIsaac, our, our second-round pick, one of our second-round picks from this year, who would have been there as a 17-year-old, uh, I thought he did very well. Uh, you know, for a guy, this is his first opportunity to compete at that under 20 level, um, I thought he did real well. He kept it simple. He was competitive. I thought he had a real solid camp for them. Um, you know, Alec Regula was one of the American uh, players that we had there, and I think for Alec, he he showed very well. You know, he was a guy that uh, you know he he was in the group that the U.S. team had cut about halfway through the camp. But I think for him, um, I think he he. Like I said before, he's a sponge. He gets better every week. You know, he's a guy that's going to be on the radar for the U.S. team to follow. Uh, he showed, you know, by his own admission, he, you know, he probably wasn't quite ready for that pace of play on the first day. But by the third day, he looked like he had already taken another step and was more comfortable. So he's a guy that's going to have an opportunity to to make the team or be competing for a spot on the team when he goes back to London, the, the world junior team I'm speaking of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Keith Petrozelli was the other uh, player for the Team USA and played very well against Sweden uh, early in the tournament and then had the opportunity to play the last game against Canada. Um, you know, didn't fare as well as he would have liked to for sure, but it's a, you know, it's a half a game snapshot. But, but Keith, I thought, looked very good against Sweden. Um He's a guy, obviously, that's going to go back to college uh, at, at Quinnipiac in the fall and hopefully have a chance to, to compete for the starter's job there. I know that, uh, that, that Petrozelli, when he was drafted two years ago, uh, when people were breaking down the draft, and a lot of it had to do because Michael Rasmussen's been dealing with that wrist the last couple of seasons, uh, that they look, well, here's maybe the diamond in the rough or the gem out of this draft class of 2017 would have been Petrozelli. He experienced some growing pains, let's be honest, at Quinnipiac. Uh, here at development camp, I think he had some sort of virus or something, so he couldn't really get on the ice uh, all that much. Yet, he you know, he made the cut for Team USA at, at the Summer Showcase, uh, expecting high expectations for him still that, you know, some kids, you know, you mature at different times, that he's ready to take that next step? Uh, yeah, I think he, everything you've said is is, is very accurate. Uh, he did have some growing pains at Quinnipiac last year. You know, and I'll quote his head coach by, you know, he's a guy that never had to compete to be the starter. You know, <laughs> right. like, you know, going back to Pee Wee. You know, he's a guy that just was the starter. And, you know, all the way until sort of the end of his year in Muskegon in the USHL when it became more of a competition to see who would be the starter with the other goalie, he had never been in a position where he had to compete for playing time. And, you know, I'm a big believer in competition and and bringing out the best in a player. So when he got to Quinnipiac, nothing obviously was going to be handed to him, and it wasn't. And so now he's in an opportunity where, you know, he's competing with another goalie for starting time. I think he did very well initially and showed, you know, that it was going to be a two-goalie two fight. And, and then for whatever reason, the other goalie, um, you know, was able to take another couple steps and advance his development. And Keith kind of stumbled a bit and didn't get the opportunity to play really uh, until around January, play regularly until around January. And then he finished the year very well. Uh, and then, like you said, you know, came to camp and he, he w- 
was having some issues. Uh, he wasn't able to keep food down very well and uh, wasn't able to get on the ice and, and do much. And, uh, you know, since then he's, he's, he's back on track and he's healthy. And he showed up uh, to Kamloops, um, you know, and, and played well. You know, he, he practiced really well. And I know that sounds kind of funny, but, you know, we are using practices as evaluation um, uh, tools up there because we don't have these guys for that long. Right. I mean, you're trying to make a lot of decisions within a week, but he practiced really well. He played that Sweden game. He was good. And, you know, but for, you know, a couple of, of goals in the Canada, the final Canada game, then we made a goalie switch. You know, I, I think he, he did everything that was expected of him, and now he's got to go back to, to Quinnipiac and build on that. Uh, I want to move towards the Red Wings, and I, I, I want to touch upon uh, – uh, on Grand Rapids and Toledo too, because as the Red Wings are going through a transition, it seems that uh, the Griffins and the Walleye are also going through a transition this season. To get some quick thoughts about that, but let's focus in on Jeff Blaschel has been very adamant, and Ken Holland by his um, by his comments saying that he expects two to five different faces on the team, and I think he was talking. More or less, I don't want to put words in Ken's mouth, but he was looking at young prospects of maybe having a legitimate shot, if maybe not making it right out of training camp to play this year. Uh, but two, for sure, I think he, he, he's centered on. Uh, Blaschel has said in the past, you know, the old expression, tie goes to the runner, tie goes to the veteran. This might not be the case this year, that uh, tie may go to the prospect over a veteran player. Again, I know that we talked about the cap situation. You're the capologist. You don't seem too worried about that, regardless of how it shakes out. Uh, but is that accurate? Do you, you know, legitimately, do you see upwards of two to five players at some point, maybe right out of camp, uh, wearing the red and white when the season starts against uh, uh, Columbus on October 4th here at uh, Little Caesars Arena. I, I, I think that's very accurate. I'm, you know, to basically to, to be repetitive and, and say what, you know, Ken and Blash, I think, have, have highlighted it perfectly. You know, between the Zadinas and uh, Rasmussen's and Heronics and Chicket, uh, sorry, Hicketts and Chalowski and Sulak, uh, as defense, you know, Dom Turgeon came up and played some games last year. Certainly Svechnikov, uh, you know, there's a lot of young players in our organization that I think, uh, you know, our expectation is when camp opens that they're going to be competing, um, you know, for jobs on, on the big club. And I think that's a, I think that's a real positive for sure for, for their development as well as for, for our development. And then even if you want to look at some of sort of the, the older pros, you know, someone like a Matt Pumple, uh, who was a restricted free agent, you know, he's never been to a Red Wings training camp. We acquired him in a trade, but, you know, he has close to 80 NHL games experience. You know, we do have some veterans down there that, um, you know, that would also be able to fill a hole um, if need be, at least, you know, at certain times during the season. So I think, you know, we're optimistic um, about the prospect of, of some of those younger players competing for, for jobs in Detroit, for sure. When you look at Rasmussen, uh, you, know, I, I, you, know, you know, Ryan, I've, told, I've talked to you about this a lot. His hand-eye coordination is extraordinary. Obviously, the Red Wings' power play, for lack of a better term, was not very good last year. 
Uh, that certainly has to pick up. Certain guys, even though Mantha had 12 power play points, led the team with nine goals. Dylan Larkin, I think, only had nine points total, only one goal. You know, they know that they've got to pick it up. You know, you, the Red Wings lost 27 one-goal games, which is a very high amount. I think it was second most in the league. My point being is, is that everybody knows that the power play has to get better, significantly better. Uh, it looks like Rasmussen... And I don't want to label him because I think he's a complete player. Is a power play specialist. Is it fair to say that at this point, with the with the skill set that he brings, that it's almost his job to lose uh, uh, not making this roster? Well, I don't power play specialist. Uh, you know, with all due respect to Marty Frick, I see Marty Frick as uh, as a power play specialist because he has that that shot, and not that right. Marty doesn't have another dimension to his game, but I think. Someone like Michael Rasmussen. Michael Rasmussen's got. Uh, he's a multi-dimensional player. Right. He does a lot of things. But I his think, hand-eye coordination, net front presence. Yeah, is, but I would. I wouldn't refer to him as a power play specialist. I would just refer to that's part of his skill set. Um, you know, that's part of his niche. You know, he knows how to play in front of the net for sure. He's got really good hands down low around the net. Uh, obviously, his size. I think he's very comfortable playing in those traffic areas, and I think he he has very good feel and instincts. Uh, in terms of how how to use his size to to protect the puck, so um, certainly, you know, I was actually just talking with Jeff Blashill this morning about Michael and um, you know my thoughts on what he did out at the the World Junior Camp in Kamloops, and you know Blash watched the games on TV, and you know he like I feel that you know he's in a really good spot to to compete for a job in Detroit. He is. He's what nineteen or something, going on thirty five. I mean, he is an extremely serious young man. Very. And I said that same thing to. <laughs> I said to Blatch. I said, "Boy, I would see him up at the rink, you know, between games, and you know, you you say hi to him. It's almost robotic in, in a way." And I said, "Michael, relax. I know I work for Team USA. You can still say hi to me." But he, got, he and I got a chuckle out of it at the end of the tournament when he got the better of me in the last game, but. <laughs> but I, I, in all seriousness, uh, no pun intended, he, he's very serious. Uh, he wants to get better. He's very focused on his development. He's a pro, um, which, you know, that's not everybody can say that about a, a young 19-year-old prospect. He is a pro. He, he works at it. Um, he treats it like a business. I mean, he's going to be a, a great Red Wing for, for years to come. When you look at last year's uh, squad on the back end, uh, offense was kind of lacking. Uh, obviously, it makes sense to sign Mike Green because he was an offensive weapon from the back, and he has been his whole NHL career. Philip Hironik steps in in the AHL first year on the all-rookie team, quarterbacks the power play for the Griffins, the number one unit. Uh, you know, Certainly, there's opportunity there for him, especially with, again, and I'm not saying he's a power play specialist, but his skill set includes being able to quarterback a power play, at least at the AHL level. Yeah, just you know, to start the year um, <clears throat> in Grand Rapids, you know, we we had uh, Phil and and Billy Seriarvi down there as first year defensemen, um, and, and you know, we wanted we wanted to give them opportunity in in terms of of, um, of the power play, but at the same time, we didn't want to hand them jobs. And you know, Todd Nelson had decisions to make too, coming back from the Calder Cup championship. He had all his defensemen back, but I think you know. Um, to Phillips' credit, uh, he was able to lock down a, a full-time 
uh, everyday job probably five or six games in and then he beat out one of our veteran defensemen to, to run the power play and that's you know that's how Phil got his opportunity when he beat out uh, Robbie Russo and Ryan Sproul who we ended up uh, trading uh, to New York uh, you know when that spot opened up for somebody to be on the power play and that's a real credit to Phil he obviously he had a he had a really good year down there you know Villy uh, Villy was on a little bit different trajectory Villy um, you know did not end up getting as much specialty specialty team specialty team time as uh, Phil did, but uh, certainly by the end of the year had worked his way in as a regular in the lineup and had started to show the ability to, to run the power play as well. But um, in the short term, it does look like, you know, Phil, um, you know, our expectation and, and I think Phil's expectation too is that he's coming in here to compete for a job in Detroit and certainly his ability to run the power play, um, you know, adds a, a dimension to his game. Uh, people are always asking me, who do you think is going to make the team? What do you think? I think the dark horse candidate, although I think that Libor Sulak has a has an opportunity here. He's kind of uh, um, put himself in a position to at least be looked at, uh, is Joe Hicketts, just because he does seem to be a little bit of the forgotten man on the, uh, on the back end. But then again, that's the Joe Hicketts story that... He's always kind of, and I'm not saying that you're intentionally blowing him off. I don't mean it no. like that. But you know what I mean. People are, are looking, they're excited about, uh, you know, Ronick and, you know, uh, uh, Sulak's coming on. Chalowski, obviously, a number one pick. And Vili Sariarvi starting to come on, too. Also a very high draft pick. Hicketts is a guy you signed. I mean, he was uh, you know, he's a free agent signing. Yeah, and you're, uh, you know... He's not, uh, you know, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the, the, you know, the prettiest player. But you know, the guy just finds ways to make plays. He's a hockey player. I actually had the chance to visit with him out in Kamloops during the the World Junior uh, Summer Showcase there because he's from there, and, and uh, he he stopped by the rink to say hi to us, and he looks great, um, and. You know, we we know what he brings to to the table. You know, I think. Um, by everyone's assessment, including Joe's, you know, he did not have the year in Grand Rapids that, that he was expecting to have last year. He, he had higher expectations for, for what he wanted to, to do down there. But when he came up here, I thought he played very well uh, up here in Detroit for his five games. And, um, you know, he's certainly going to be in a position to um, – to compete for a job as well. You know, I know Jeff Blaschel really likes him. And, and Libor Sulak, to get back to what you first mentioned, Libor, you know, if anybody watched the World Championships on TV, you know, Libor was playing as part of the shutdown pair, uh, you know, for the Czech team. He's going up against Patrick Kane and Johnny Goudreau and, you know, when they played the U.S. team. So I think he's got uh, real good upside. He's got size. He can skate. Um you know, he knows how to take away space with his size and his range and his feet. You know, his puck decisions probably have to, um, you know, mature a little bit in, in terms of the smaller ice. He's used to playing on the bigger ice over there. But, you know, he's another guy that, that uh, you know, we feel is going to be in a position to compete for a job at a camp, too. When you look at Dennis Chalowski, obviously high expectations. He's done everything the Red Wings have asked him to do. He had a great year in the Western Hockey League. Yet, I get the feeling, and again, this is only me, and I'm certainly not uh, a part of the Red Wings staff or anything like that, but I know he's going to have the opportunity to make the team. It just seems that maybe 
a year in Grand Rapids or to start off in Grand Rapids where he's going to get all kinds of playing time in every situation might be beneficial for him. Well, for sure it will it, it will be beneficial for him if that's the position that he's in. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, the players will decide if he shows mm-hmm. up at camp and um, he's competing for a job and he can help the team win and he's going to play meaningful minutes up here, then there's no reason why he can't be here. But based on what he's done to this point in his career at St. Cloud as well as in the Western Hockey League, um, you know, our expectation is, you know, that his development is probably, um, you know, going to be best served by playing a ton of minutes playing in every situation and and right now it looks like that's going to be in the American League but certainly um, you know I he, he's going to be in a position to compete for a job at a camp but if he does have to go to the American League uh, you know I, but certainly um, there's a lot of positives to being down there to playing a lot of minutes and playing those important key situations and if you do make mistakes at that level it's not as egregious as if you make them up here. I know we haven't spent any time on, on players on the big club except for Dylan signing his his deal and and some of the Athens CU and 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 Mantha and Bertuzzi also getting deals done. But I want to talk about goaltending because it seems to be a, a, an area. I know you, the, the Red Wings drafted two Swedish goaltenders in the last draft. Uh, I think signing Ari Satari, who was part of Florida's prospects, and I know from writing scouting reports on Florida last year, they really liked him. Are you surprised that the Red Wings were able to, to, to sign him? He, sh- he most likely should be the starter in Grand Rapids. And then another uh, player that you also signed, Patrick, uh, is it Rebar? Right. Uh, and, and then Caden Fulcher, who I would expect, maybe where he's at in his development, would be Toledo's starting goaltender this year. That Rebar and Satari, but Satari looks like... Uh, you know, I hate this expression, Ryan, and forgive me, for, but a kind of a diamond in the rough. Jimmy's in the last year of his deal. We know Bernier signed for, for three seasons, but and I'm not saying Jimmy's not coming back, but it, this is a position that's definitely in flux, especially with, depending on what Philip Larson does at Denver, he could be knocking on the door. Petrozelli's only going to get better. So goaltending, even though it's unproven, some of the prospects, and it's important, obviously, because of where Jimmy's at, uh, goaltending, are you happy with it? Do you, are you looking? I mean, obviously getting two guys from Sweden, you, you definitely need to replenish the position, but where does that stand right now? Well, first with Satari, uh, he did play some games in Florida last year. We actually tried to sign him a year ago. So he, he's a player that um, uh, that our staff had, had identified as a, a, a real viable uh, depth option and somebody that could come up and play NHL games, and at the time when we had Tommy McCollum uh, and Jared Corot in the organization, and we were looking for you know somebody uh, to challenge with uh, with Jimmy and Peter, you know Harry's a guy that we tried to sign a year ago, and so I felt like you know, when I made the calls this year, I felt like I was re-recruiting him, um, but you know and he actually played he played for Florida when Detroit was down there last year and and beat us, and I think so. Jeff Blaschel immediately you know mentioned in the meeting, well I like that guy, I know exactly what he can do, I saw it firsthand, right, so right. Uh, you know so Harry checked checks a lot of boxes. I don't know from his standpoint. 
pinpoint, you know, why he picked us over another organization. But certainly, um, you know, as you say, the, the goaltender position is a bit in flux, and I think he sees opportunity here. And then with Patrick Rebar, um, you know, because some of our goalies um, are European and have stayed over in Europe or because they've gone to college and we haven't gotten uh, access to them as pros, we've had opportunity um, in the American League, uh, you know, for Jared and for Matej Machovsky a year ago, who was back and forth between Toledo and Grand Rapids. We've had opportunity to sign uh, an older free agent goalie. It just so happens that the last two have come from Europe with Machovsky and now Rebar. Um, but our, our scouts really like Patrick, um, and he's a little bit older. He's played professionally over there, so he's just a one-year uh, entry-level contract, so really very little risk on our part, and, and we like the player, and, and he might end up being a prospect. He'll be restricted at the end of this contract, and, and we'll have the opportunity to see if he can develop uh, you know, beyond what, what we see now as a guy who's going to be in the American League and, and a depth guy. And then Caden Fulcher, you know, great year in Hamilton this year. He won the OHL championship. He went on to the Memorial Cup. Um, you know, Caden's a guy like Joe Hicketts that we signed as a free agent out of training camp um, a year ago. And, and our goalie guys really like his development. You know, he's tall. Uh, he's got a really good technical skill uh, set and really good feet. He's just got to work on his consistency. And that, that comes with maturity. And, um, you know, the ECHL uh, is a great, great uh, development league for goaltenders because they face a lot of shots typically they play uh, you know we don't need Caden sitting on the bench in Grand Rapids with a clipboard keeping track of faceoff wins right, right. we'd much rather have him down in Toledo uh, playing and you know we've signed another minor league veteran down there Pat Nagel who's a great mentor and, and he'll do a really good job working with Caden uh, on his development. Uh, I know there's certain players that I know fans want me to ask you about, but we're we're kind of we're running out of time here. But uh, Giovanni Smith, impressive in development camp on that line with Rasmussen and, and Zadina. Uh, I know talking to you in the past, it was dominate the OHL, which he did towards the end of the year when he was traded. I think the Kitchener was, and he put up a lot of points in the playoffs, and now. Go into the AHL, dominate there, and then you've got a legitimate shot at being a Red Wing. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's fair. I think he had a really good uh, last year of junior. You know, he's a, he's a guy that was in an organization that had not done a, a ton of winning, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. They were a little bit down in, in their development and the players that they had. And, you know, so I think to get him to an organization – uh, that was going to have a chance to go on a bit of a playoff run and put him in the, that important situation. Um, the latter part of uh, last year in junior, I think, was really good for his development. And, um, you know, I think he knows, um, you know, his brother plays in the league. I, you know, he knows, I think he knows what it's going to take to make that step from junior to the American League. Um, you know, I, and I think it's sometimes good for players to... Um, you know, to, to have a sense of urgency and pressure 
in terms of making that adjustment mm-hmm. and reali- realizing that it is a big step. The American League's a really, really good league. And so I think Giovanni having that perspective, you know, he's come down here to Detroit uh, on his own dime to train on his own with some other pros. I actually see Giovanni from time to time when I, my daughter trains at the same facility as him and I drop him off. So he's there every morning. He's working hard. He's putting himself uh, in, in a great position to be one of those guys that, you know, when Coach Simon makes the decision about the opening night lineup and that he's not only in the lineup, but that he's going to be play, uh, that he's going to play meaningful minutes and play in important situations. Another player that I, we, we sort of touched upon him, but Evgeny Shvechnikov, I, I, I say this has got to be a pretty big year for him. I mean, he's had some opportunities. Uh, he's shown flashes. Uh, legit, you know, does he really have to start off in Grand Rapids, excel, and then because he, he has moved up and down the chain here a little bit. Well, he'll decide. You, you know, really, he'll decide. He got a nice taste of the NHL last year for uh, about 15 games <clears throat> at the end of the year, and, you know, certainly, um, you know, did not have the sophomore season in Grand Rapids that he did uh, the first year, and, you know, I think you and I have discussed right. uh, a variety of reasons, um, you know, other than, uh, Evgeny himself and his skill as to why that happened and you know the team was different last year but um, you know I think uh, getting those 15 games up here uh, you know for both Jeff Blaschel as well as Gino uh, you know Jeff saw the player that Gino can be and he likes uh, you know what he brings to the table and I think he sees the type of role that he can fill and at the same time you know I think there's a comfort level from Gino's standpoint where um, you know, he sees that he can play in the league, and he sees also what he needs to do to work on uh, to have more success at this level. Um, so, you know, whether he's ready to be in the opening night lineup or, or needs more time in Grand Rapids, he'll decide that. You know, I, I do know that, uh, you know, he's he's always had a really good offseason. He's always trained really hard, so I know he'll be in great shape. And then, you know, he'll get an opportunity to come in here, and then he's got to go out and do it during those exhibition games. Uh, one final question. Uh, we'll uh, we'll kind of end it here, but you mentioned Ben Simon. He's the new coach of the Grand Rapids Griffin. Was an assistant for four years. Uh, Dan Watson is back in Toledo. Uh, even though uh, the both teams are in a transition, a lot of new faces on both clubs this year for the Walleye and for the Griffins. Yet you're the general manager for for the Griffins, and you you're the consultant for for, for the Walleye. You help Dan Watson out and are all always uh, offering advice to him. There's still stability, though, because the coaching positions, these guys are pretty rock solid. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the continuity, you know, I think really starting at the top with, um, with Ben, the fact that Ben was an assistant coach there for uh, the last few years with Todd Nelson, um, you know, I got to know Ben um, a little bit when he was a player and I was an agent, I, I recruited him. I did not end up representing him, but I knew him a little bit as a player. And then he actually reached out to to me, um, you know, when we were going through the transition from Jeff Blaschel to, to Todd Nelson and uh, Ben reached out to me. He was between uh, jobs with the, the American League and um, that's how he and I developed a relationship. Uh, he, he's probably one of my best hires uh, at that level, he ended up being uh, an invaluable member of Todd's staff. Um, you know, he's a guy who's been a head coach before at, at a lower level. He's had success there. 
Uh, he's a tremendous assistant coach. He's a great teacher. Uh, he's definitely ready for this opportunity to be a head coach. Uh, you know, certainly uh, losing Todd is a is a big loss. We had a lot of success down there with Todd. We we wish him well in Dallas. I think he's going to do a great job on Jim Montgomery's staff in Dallas. But um, you know, to to have a guy that you can move from the assistant chair right into the head coach chair, I think is is really good. Um, and so that continuity is is important um and then we've got two great uh, assistant coaches on his staff with matt mcdonald and brad tapper both of whom were head coaches in the echl a year ago so we've got a lot of head coaching experience down there um we've got a great staff and then uh you know i know dan watson had the opportunity to, to talk to some american league teams about different opportunities but felt uh, at this point it was in his best interest to to stay at the echl level as a head coach and so you know Personally, I'm I'm real happy that uh, that he's coming back because I, I think he runs, uh, you know, one of if not the best programs in the league. He's got a tremendous uh, track record of success down there. Uh, but more importantly, uh, he does a great job of developing players. You know, every player that has played in Grand Rapids that has come through Toledo has been a better player when we get them in Grand Rapids, and and that's a real testament to to he. Um, uh, to him and, and Andy Delmore, um, because it's not easy to, to, to develop players at that level and, and want to move them on to the next level, but Dan does a great job in that regard. All right, the final question. This has been a, a crazy off season for, for me. Uh, there, it doesn't seem to slow down. Uh, what's it been like for you, Ryan? I mean, because you, you, you know, a couple of teams here, not only the Red Wings, but as we said, the Griffins and the Walleye. I mean, have you been able to uh, take a breath, or is this what you live for? It's been pretty exciting, and you're all all psyched up and geared and ready to see how this thing pans out. Yeah, the this, the, the off seasons are Stanley Cup, so <laughs> you know between contract negotiations and um, you know the salary arbitration preparation, um, you know training camp details. Um, you know we've had a lot of turnover on the on the Grand Rapids roster, you know, Chris Terry is new, Wade Megan is new, Carter Camper is new. Uh, you know, we did bring back some of our other players, but, uh, you know, we had some new players to sign there. We were working on some minor league contracted players for, for Grand Rapids depth. So there's always something to do, you know, during the off season. This is when all the detail work gets done that hopefully ends up paying off uh, during the regular season. So I haven't had a whole lot of downtime, but certainly... Um, have had some time to spend with the family, and, and I think they appreciate having me around, not having to run out to a game every night. Right. I got some, you know, time on the at night and on the weekends to spend with the kids that sometimes I don't normally get during the season. So that that's been nice. Well, Ryan, thanks for taking time out of your busy day. As I said, you just got back from vacation. It's your first day back. Uh, I know that uh, you have a lot of things to do, but I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, I look forward to talking to you uh, again very, very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Red and White Authority. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Art. Take care.